0: Thank you, Wren and Megan, that was fantastic. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, if you will open up to Luke chapter 1. Um, we are going to have a, another Christmas message, Christmas-themed message this morning. We're taking a break uh, from the book of Romans, and uh, next week, BJ will be uh, bringing the message next week, and uh, at least he doesn't know that yet, he knows that now. Uh, it's your Christmas gift that we tell you this much in advance. Um, no, he's, he's been working on that, and then we'll return to Romans uh, after that. But one of the things that, as we, as we, as we celebrate this morning and as we anticipate uh, tomorrow and uh, Christmas Day, and we're celebrating uh, the goal, uh, the, the goal is we're celebrating Christmas. And the goal that I have for us, the kind of the theme that runs through last week and this week, is that, um, that we are to be a people who truly celebrate and who truly rejoice during this time of year. And there's so many distractions uh, that can get in our way. And one of those distractions, I think, are the myths uh, or the stories that have developed around Christmas uh, you don't have to go very far on your televisions or on your movie selections during this time of year to, to, to see some of those uh, myths and those stories. In fact, this morning as I got here to church, my phone was buzzing uh, with news articles about the true meaning of Christmas. And it had nothing to do with the, really the true meaning of Christmas. It had to do with a holiday uh, uh, tale of a Christmas miracle of sorts. And it's tempting uh, to get sidetracked by these things. We, um, two years ago, two years ago, three years ago, two or three years ago, um, uh, this, this on December 23rd, uh, and some of you were there, uh, and I know many of you came to our home and celebrated with us uh, uh, what we are calling uh, Flannery's Gotcha Day, where it was finalized, her adoption was finalized. And uh, you know, I remember during that time just the anticipation and uh, being so thankful. Uh, but also the temptation, as great as that day was, the temptation to make Christmas kind of about that. And even, even now as we celebrate Gotcha Day, um, to, to the temptation to make this Christmas holiday about something that it's, it's not ultimately about. And so this morning, this morning... Um, as we look at this text, what I want us to see and to glean from our text this morning is that Christmas is about celebrating the king of kings coming to this earth. The king that is above all kings. The the ruler that is above all rulers. Not only coming to this earth, but as he came to this earth as a baby, inaugurating the kingdom of God to this earth. And so I want to, unpack that this morning and I want us to see that this morning. Now as we open up to our passage and as we look here in the book of Luke, um, we we see over and over again if we were to read the whole book of Luke this morning, which we won't, but if we were, uh, we would see over and over again in the book of Luke this whole idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, of Jesus being the king. We see this happen, this language used over and over and over again. And Luke, today, uh, as we read this passage, one of the things that I hope that you heard and that I want to point out to, to you is that as the angel Gabriel was coming to Mary and was pronouncing to her what was happening, there was language that was used and that Luke is pointing us to so that we see who this child that was going to be born to Mary, who he truly is. Who is this Jesus? And so I want you to see the language that's used here. And I think sometimes, as John was saying, as, as he was uh, uh, taking us through our time of worship this morning, that some of the language we use around Christmas time uh, gets so familiar that we truly miss the real meaning of it. So I want you to look just at two verses this morning, and I want you to see, I want you to hear this language of Jesus being our King. And let's start in verse thirty-two. And the first thing that we see is the angel is talking to Mary here, and when she's talking about when he's talking about Jesus. He says this: He will be great. Now, when we see this, he will be great. Th- this isn't um, saying like, hey, he will be a great athlete. This is, he will be great uh, like a king, uh, like Louis the Great, right? Or Louis the Great. We're more familiar with the French term. That he will be great. He will be extraordinary. He will separate himself. His reign will, will be beyond what we could ever imagine. Next, as we continue to look here, he will be great and he will be called... The Son of the Most High. When we first look at the title, The Most High, this is talking about the sovereign of the universe. The one of which there is no equal, there is no comparison. The one that is completely separate. The one who is the Most High. The only one that is worthy of our worship and praise. The God of the universe. And so, this one that is coming, His his lineage, His throne, His heir... God's heir is this one, Jesus. So when it says the Son of the Most High, this is very much kingly talk. There is no one that is like Him. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father, David the throne of David. If you remember, we're, we won't go back right now to the Old Testament, but if you remember from your Old Testament that David was God's appointed king and God made a promise that he will one day establish his forever kingdom, his forever rule through this man David, through his lineage. And so what Luke is pointing us to is that he's giving him the throne of David, God's appointed chosen king, through which uh, he will reign Forever, and then as we trans- transition into verse thirty-three, it says, "And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end." Now, this word "reign" and the word "kingdom" in Greek are from the same root word, and, and it's translated perfectly. It's translated well, and so what we have here, as we look at these verses, that you cannot accurately look at these verses and come away not knowing that this child, this Jesus that is coming, is not just a, an ordinary child, is not just a, uh, a miraculous baby. This child that is coming is a king. And Luke is pointing us in that direction. I, I want to give you just one other example of this in the book of Matthew, I think. I think Gary preached on this last year uh, about the killing of babies. We had a happy, merry Christmas after that one. Now, if it was a great message, we joked about that all uh, for several weeks last year. But notice, notice in, in chapter two of the book of Matthew. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, "Where is he who's been born, King of the Jews?" For, he saw, for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod, shaken to the core because he understood the title of this baby being the king of the Jews, felt threatened because of Because he was the king of the Jews, and we know what happened from there, that he had all the children under the age of two killed. So when we see this, when we hear of the Christmas story, when we hear of this baby being born, we hear this language over and over again of this king. Now, I want to just take a minute and go back to some of the Old Testament prophecy of the coming of Jesus. I want to start in Isaiah 9, and I want you to listen uh, for this kingly language. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And when it says government here, it's not meaning like, the, uh, like our government would rest on his shoulders. The word in Hebrew actually means dominion, uh, so so comes from the word to dominate. And so here, this one that is coming, uh, the dominion, the power will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or the peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore in Daniel chapter 2 prophecy of the coming of the Messiah listen to what Daniel says in the days of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed and that kingdom will not be left for another people it will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it will itself endure forever and then later in Daniel chapter 7 Starting in verse 13, he says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him, and to Him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Listen to this language. That all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one, which will not be destroyed. And then in verse 27 of this same chapter, then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole earth will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey Him. Brother and sister, when we think about the coming of this child Jesus at Christmas, what we are thinking about and what we are looking back at is the coming of a king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This Jesus is king. He came from humble beginnings, as we heard about. He had a humble stature, we learn later about. And in fact, what we see right off the bat is that this Jesus, this king of the universe, this this son sent from God, the Most High, was misunderstood. And he was misunderstood by Herod, the king at the time, and the Jews. He was misunderstood because their focus was on the earthly kingdom. Herod and the Jews of the day, their focus was focused upon the troubles in their own life. Herod, Herod was an interesting man. I don't know if you've... Studied Herod very much. Herod came to power uh, about 40 BC. Uh, he came to power in, in, in the middle of strife in the Roman government. Uh, we we hear of this sort of thing happening today in countries throughout the world. That as there was this schism going on in Rome, Herod kind of really carefully chose sides so that he could be in the party in power. Uh, One of the negative things about doing that is if the other party ever threatens, you've kind of got to go back over to the other side. And so Herod had been pretty successful at negotiating his way through this, of picking winners. But Herod was a very anxious man. Herod's kingdom to him felt very fragile. He was always worried about it slipping away from him. In fact, uh, historians... Uh, say that they feel like that he killed, I think, three of his sons. Very anxious, very unstable. Constantly doing whatever he could to try to appease Rome and to appease his subjects enough so that he could stay in power. And so we can see and begin to understand why this man would be so threatened and why this man may not see truly who this Jesus is because when he hears the title King of the Jews, we see that that for him, that for him drives him insane. So much so that he would slaughter all these babies. Jesus the King was a threat to him. Not one to worship. And so you may ask yourself, okay, well I can kind of understood why Herod missed it. Well, why did the Jews... Miss it. And I think part of it has to do with uh, the government that they were under at the time. For hundreds of years, the Jews had been in captivity and in exile, and now they were here, and they had a, a king in Herod that, that some, uh, on some occasions, kind of uh, tipped the hat to them and gave them some things and built up hope. In fact, we see that uh, Herod built them an amphitheater. He actually built a house for the Sanhedrin to go and to meet in. He built a new fortress to protect the Jewish people from invasion. And he also, in 20 B.C., began to build the temple. And so you may say, well, this is a great guy. Were the Jews putting their hope and trust in him? Well, no, because on the other side of the coin, Herod was a very heavy-handed man. He, he taxed uh, the Jews almost beyond um, what they could bear. Very excessive in his taxes. He ruled them with secret police and mercenaries. In fact, I want to give you a, a quote of his rule from a historian. And, and over and over again, if you look at historians, they say things like this about Herod. It was clear to anyone that Herod was not a Jewish, but a Roman king. He had become the ruler of the Jews with Roman help, and he boasted to be the emperor's friend, entertaining Agrippa, Augustus' right-hand man. Now listen to this. On the top of the gate of the new temple, a golden eagle was erected, a symbol of Roman power, in the heart of the holy city, represented by all pious believers. Worse, Augustus ordered and paid the priest of the temple to sacrifice twice a day on behalf of himself, the Roman Senate, and the people. The Jewish populace started to believe rumors that their pagan ruler had violated Jewish tombs, stealing golden objects from the tomb of David and Solomon. So we see a Jewish people who, who in this day and time have, had kind of been toyed with, who had felt manipulated, who, who felt like they were just on the brink of really establishing themselves as a people again and as a country. And what we see is that they, they were no closer to that, and so when they heard, when they heard that jesus Jesus entered the, the scene and that he was the Messiah, think about what it must have felt like when Jesus uttered words like this: "My kingdom is what? My kingdom's not of this world, or what about the phrase when, when Jesus when they were trying to trick Jesus and Jesus says Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. This was not the king that the Jews were looking for. So, who is this Jesus and what is this kingdom? Again, I said it's a major theme in Luke and I just want to point to two places out of many that we could go to, over over 40 that... Where uh, this language is used, but I want you to see what Jesus, two places, what Jesus says about this in chapter four of uh, Luke, verses forty-two through forty-three. When when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him and came to him, and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, "Notice this: I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities." for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus, in identifying who He was, was saying, I am King, and I must preach the kingdom of God because I was sent for this purpose. Again, in chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel, verses, let me just pick up in in verse 19 and 20. Jesus here is, um, he had just casted out a demon and the, the Pharisees here were trying to accuse him of blasphemy. Uh, but look in verse 19 and 20. And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out, so they will be your judges. But I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What he's telling these Pharisees is, in me the kingdom of God has come upon you. So who is this Jesus and what is his kingdom? And the first thing I want to do is look at what this kingdom is. Because as we celebrate this Christmas, this is what we are celebrating and we have great news and great things to celebrate and rejoice over. And the first thing about this kingdom that I want you to know about is it was foretold. That Jesus wasn't just coming to earth and just making up things, this was God's plan. We were told all throughout the Old Testament. We were given prophecies all throughout the Old Testament of this coming kingdom. It was foretold by the prophets. The second thing that I want you to see is that when Jesus came to the earth, He inaugurated or initiated this kingdom. And it was there when He was there. Because of Jesus' life, the kingdom entered. The kingdom of God with Jesus was and is at hand. The other way to say that is that the kingdom of God is already, that because Jesus has come, the kingdom of God is here. But the third thing that we see is that it is already here, but it's not yet what it will be. Many of you can testify to the fact, all of us can testify to the fact That we do not live in the day and the age that was prophesied by the Old Testament, and we don't live in the day and age that was prophesied in the book of Revelation of the ultimate kingly reign of Jesus. Sin and Satan will one day ultimately be defeated, but that day is not yet today. His kingdom is eternal. Herod and many of the Jews were looking for an earthly kingdom with an earthly king that would solve earthly problems. And what we see Jesus talking over and over again about is that His kingdom is eternal and it has no end. And it's not political. It's not socio-economic. Many of you may long for a king that would help us out of the mess we're in right now. But thank the Lord Jesus and His kingdom is way better than any kingdom that could be established on this earth. And the last thing, the last thing is that His kingdom is universal. Isn't it interesting in the book of Daniel, when it was talking about this kingdom, that it wasn't, although Jesus is the king of the Jews, that we see that through this nation, through the Jews, that all would be blessed. And in the book of Revelation, we have that all were worshipping, every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And so we see this kingdom that was inaugurated by Jesus, this promise that has been given and this promise that will be kept of this kingdom of God has been brought to us in this manger to this Mother Mary brought to our earth. The kingdom of God is at hand. And this has great implications that we'll talk about in a moment. So we talked a little about the kingdom. Now let's talk a little bit about Who is this king? He is not the prince of peace from Roman dictatorial rule, but he is the prince of peace because he gives men and women peace with God. You see, the problem, the problem that the Jewish people had when they looked and considered Jesus, it's not that they thought too much of him, that they thought, oh, he'll come and he'll overthrow the Roman government, and he didn't do that. The problem is that they thought too little of Him. That the coming of Jesus was not simply some political thing to to create peace with Jewish people while they were on earth. The coming of Jesus, the peace that He brought, was a much greater peace. It was the answer to their biggest problem, and that was, how does man have peace with God? And that was answered in the coming of Jesus. Not only is he the way to have peace with God, but as a king, he sets his people free from a tyrannical rule. And this tyrannical rule, again, is is way greater than the tyrannical rule of Herod, or later Nero, or any of the emperors, or kings, or rulers of this earth. This tyrannical rule that Jesus came to set you and to me free from was the tyrannical rule of sin and death. Ephesians 2 tells us that Jesus came. That we were formerly enslaved by the powers of the prince of this age, but with Jesus, if you put your hope and trust with Jesus... No more, no longer. We studied this in uh, the book of Romans as well, that the power of sin and the destruction that sin has over us and in our lives, that in the life of a believer that Jesus came and crushed that, so that sin no longer has reign or dominion over you. Not only this, but Jesus, this King coming, in crushing His enemy... He crushed the serpent's head. You remember a couple weeks ago, as Gary was uh, brought to us, the theme of the curse that runs throughout the Bible and how Jesus is the one who broke that curse. That this king, not only does he set captives free, but he crushes the serpent's head. This final victory. Satan no longer has rule over this world. In the coming kingdom, Jesus reigns supreme. Satan is already defeated. He just doesn't ultimately know it yet. A far greater king than we could ever imagine. And all of this, if it weren't enough, but he also tore the veil between man and God so that not only can we one day look forward to a relationship uh, with God where we worship Him forever, but also this king came and he tore down any walls that would separate the powers from the... Uh, the, the one to be worshipped from the worshipers. He tore that veil into in His coming and in His death so that you and I can have a direct relationship with the God of the universe. That's who this baby is. That's who this king, this one born in this manger is. And, and the other thing that I'm always reminded when I think about the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ, is not only did He come uh, and was born in a manger, but the other thing that we have to know about this kingdom is that this Christ will come again. You see, the story of Christmas is not just about a baby who was born in a manger. It's about a Savior and a king that will come again and establish His right rule. So, The purpose of Christmas, the purpose of what we're doing here in the next couple of days is to celebrate this king and this kingdom. Are your wants and are your desires too low this Christmas? As you come in here this morning with the burdens, with maybe the uh, low expect, the, the expectations that haven't been lived up to this year. As you come in here this morning and think about Christmas time, are your expectations too low? Are you mythologizing Jesus? Are you looking for a Christmas miracle? Are you worshipping King Jesus? Are you looking for and anticipating His kingdom? Or are you more like Herod and the Jews of the time and you have a wrong view of this king? Are you like Herod this morning? And the notion of Jesus as your king and your savior threatens you to your very core Because you don't want to give up control and power of your little dominion, domain. I used to think when I was young, when I was a teenager, um, one of the things that Satan used in my life to keep me from following the Lord was that following Jesus was a buzzkill. And I wanted control of my life and what I did. And so... I don't know if any of you were this weird when you were young or if any of you teenagers are doing this now or maybe adults you are doing this now. And and so my my whole thought was, looking back, was I wanted to be king. I wanted to have control over what I did. And so Jesus threatened me. (laughs) The thought that we normally have is that if you follow Jesus, he'll make you go where? Africa, right? which is not so bad. I'd rather be with Jesus in Africa than, anywhere, than without Him anywhere else. But as a youngster, that was the stupid thought pattern. What I didn't realize was that we were created. We were created to be worshipers of this King. And life is only going to make sense. Your insecurities are only going to be washed away. Your anxieties are only going to be overcome when you understand what your position is, and brothers and sisters, when you understand that and you see this king for who he is, you will be amazed that this king loves you and it will be amazing to you how much smoother your life will feel because you are put in your right place. Not like Herod who had to control his environment. This Christmas, are you... Do you come in here this morning and are you more like the Jewish people of this day who rejected Him because Jesus wasn't what they thought He should be? Do we come in here this morning with burdens? Do we come in here this morning with expectations? And the fact that Jesus has not met those expectations like we want Him to, does that cause us to throw up our hands and saying, I don't believe this Jesus is the Messiah? I loved what Gary was saying earlier uh, in this dedication of this baby. And uh, I hope it didn't pass unnoticed by you all that he said that God will lovingly, something along these lines, that God will lovingly bring things in his life that will direct his paths in the way that it needs to go. And what we understand by that is that's not always uh, lollipops and gumdrops. That many times that, that's burdens, frustrations. Heartaches. And in the midst of some of that, some of you are going through that now. In the midst of some of that, do you see King Jesus as your King who is directing your paths, who is there with you, and is ruling over all? And are you longingly looking forward to the coming of the Lord when all things will be set right? Or are we simply bellyaching saying, this Jesus is not doing what He's come here to do? So, when you celebrate Christmas this week, I want you to celebrate the King. And brothers and sisters, we should be a people who celebrate. We should be a people who celebrate because God has done it. He has sent His Son. He has done it. Not only has He done it, but He will do it again. Because of this, we know that Jesus will come back again. And on that day, all things will be made right. And so as a Christian, if we view Jesus and His kingship correctly, we should be a people who celebrate. We should be a people who give gifts to one another out of joy... Because we're celebrating what God has done. We should be a people who eat really good food over the next couple of days and gain 10 to 15 pounds because we're celebrating the goodness of God. This is, it's, it's in the Old Testament, folks. God set aside certain days and periods of celebration and we need to be doing that. We need to be looking beyond our current circumstances and to celebrate what God has done. He has sent His Son, the King of Kings. He has taken our sin. He has taken our punishment. And in His death, He took our place and He will come again. And what more could you want for Christmas than that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we don't miss this Christmas. As we celebrate this Christmas, God, I pray that we don't miss what it is that you have done. God, I pray that our circumstances, our fears, our need to control our own lives, what's going on nationally, what's going on internationally, God, I pray that that doesn't stop us from seeing the greatest reality in the world. That You sent Your Son, Jesus. The King of kings. The One who will reign sovereignly and graciously and lovingly over us to this earth in a manger. Who will one day come back again. And in that day... Satan will be ultimately defeated and your kingdom will be established and we will live together with you forever, worshiping you for eternity. God, we have much reason to celebrate. God, I do pray that you would fill our hearts with cheer. God, I pray that we would look to you And that our hearts would overflow with joy. And that we would sing and speak of that joy. And that we would celebrate with one another. With good food. With great conversation. Knowing and anticipating. And being thankful for all you have done and you will do. God, all of this is only possible through your son Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.